0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to Driving Him In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lenneberg, the show that was conceived when, uh, when, uh, when, when I would call uh, my buddy Eric, also known as Lenny, give Eric a call, and we would talk baseball, and we always thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun to have some guests on? And, well, I decided to figure out a way to make that happen, so we are now uh, looking at our, uh, I think this is our 13th show, uh, something like that. Anyway, Eric, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah, 13 shows, man. It's hard to believe it's gone by that fast.
0: Already. Yeah, that's uh you know in the in the calendar, that would be a quarter, 3 months.
1: Well, oh, that's right. Uh,
0: of shows right there. Yeah. So so we're having fun doing this thing and we've had some great guests on. Um again, I I've been loving the idea of the different sort of variety of people we're getting on and today's no different. So why don't you give us a quick introduction of our guest today?
1: Yeah, today we have Marjorie Adams will be joining us. Marjorie is the, uh, the great-granddaughter of a guy named Doc Adams, and if you've never heard of Doc Adams, you're going to enjoy this show because he legitimately was one of the people who was, you could call him one of the architects of baseball. He came up with set of the rules and, and things like bases being 90 feet apart, things that we take for granted today were his ideas, and uh, Marjorie's a historian herself of the game and of Doc, so... She has a lot to say about it. Uh, I've had her on it as a guest before on another show. She's very interesting, very fun to talk to. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Oh, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I you always wonder, like, you know, why is no plate that size? And, you know, why are the bases where they're located? And, you know, obviously a lot of that goes through, you know, trial and error back in, I mean, this is like, this stuff's happening during the Civil War like a lot of, you know,
1: that's right.
0: And like, there wasn't any, any other things to worry about. Right. But I think, you know, one of the, one one of the things that was like, it's, I, I I think it was both sides uh, union and the Confederate um, soldiers that actually played baseball on their downtime. So I've seen pictures of it. And I think that would be one of those like pre doc doc Adams uh, era where, you know, you walk off the bases and I I was reading some stuff on this and like, Okay, so the bases are 30 paces. Well, Eric, you know, you and I are a couple inches different in height, and I guarantee you my pace is different than your pace. So if we were going to walk off 30 feet, um, your field would probably be a little bit, you know, maybe shorter or longer than mine. So the, to standardize the game, um, obviously, is, is is a huge move forward in the evolution of baseball. Um, and I think that's what's really interesting, and uh, and I'm sure Marjorie's going to have some interesting comments regarding the rationale, you know, so why yeah. ninety feet? You know, why sixty feet six inches? You know, why is the plate seventeen inches wide? Um, but I think there's another uh interesting thing now, you know, we're talking about the juice ball. Uh and apparently Doc Adams, one of his little side hustles was making because <laughs> he
1: That's didn't right. have any.
0: There there was no <laughs> mr right. Balding, you know, <laughs> back then. There was no Rawlings, right? These guys probably weren't even born yet. Um and uh so somebody had to make these balls and uh, it's funny because one of my Facebook friends, I, I, his name's I, I can't remember his name at the moment, uh, but I, I look at his stuff all the time because what he does is he creates replica balls from that era, uh, and, it's, oh. and it's interesting because you know now we call the you know the ball we, you know if you're a player, you know like where the sweet spot is right on the ball. Right. Uh, there's no sweet spot in those old balls. They they were stitched together in basically two seams that intersected uh, in two places. So so when you look at um when you look at a baseball today uh you know it has four seams coming across it well well back in the day the, the seams were or it was but they were, it was like an x versus yeah. sort of the the one seam that goes all the way around the baseball now you know in a in a, in a certain fashion so uh i just thought you know that that's another uh, interesting topic because i watched this guy shows how uh, how we make them and um and he's using you know a, a already pre like molded um rubber core like they use on those old balls well i read that, that doc adams is using like like rubber he found on other objects like in the farmland or, or hoses. yeah that's right i mean whatever he tires could find to put, tires yeah whatever he could find to stick in the middle uh of this baseball and then w- and wind it up and then sew it together um, and I think it's also interesting that, that, you know, he he already understood it even at this early stage of the game that uh, the tighter you you uh, tighten those those laces, uh, the further the ball can go when you hit it and the harder you can throw it. So that's uh, right. imagine, imagine the balls that they used back then compared to these. They're basically cue balls now that, that yeah. are made out of leather, you know. <laughs> that's uh,
1: right. and,
0: and, and that's kind of what I think, you know, y- y- and then you take, you take those big old bats and these guys are swinging with their hands split apart because you know they weren't really fundamentally sound. They didn't really know what worked and what didn't work. So I would assume a lot of the guys were probably laborers and and they used to use a sickle or something. And oh, that's kind of like a baseball swing. I think I'll swing with my hands a uh, foot apart. See see how that goes. Yeah. You know? And uh, and you see obviously these old pictures. These guys always have their hands split apart. And they're probably swinging a 40-ounce, uh, you know, piece of wood, and they all they all shared the same bat, I would I would speculate, you know. So, um, you know, the game has gone along a lot. Uh, and by the way, these guys didn't wear gloves at the beginning of this either, right? I mean, just – That's right. I mean, the catchers didn't wear gloves. I mean, come on. Like, like I can't even imagine. They didn't wear masks. Um, and this is a true story that I, I read somewhere else, that um, the cup was actually invented before the mask. Matt goes to show you how guys think right there. <laughs> that uh <laughs> they'll invent they'll invent protection for what really matters and then deal with a crooked nose and broken teeth later, you know.
1: That's right. We have so, a priority strength.
0: That's right. <laughs> so so anyway, I think that's a interesting uh very interesting um you know, this will be a very interesting show. Uh I'm I'm certainly, you know, always love baseball and, and love you know, when you love something you know, like my favorite bands, right, I like to go back and learn about their, their origins, like how they started, where they grew up, what, what influenced them to play certain, you know, styles. Um yeah. And I think if you're a historian in baseball, you like baseball, you're going to be a historian, you're going to want to know, you know, how how come this and how come that and, you know, uh and, and you want to learn sort of the, the deeper dive. So I think we're going to have our our behind the game uh, moment today—that's going to be a lot of fun to uh, to talk Definitely. To, uh, to Marjorie about. So, um, looking yeah. forward to that. And I just wanted to no, give I a was... quick little. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was, was going to say I was watching some game show. It wasn't Jeopardy, but one of those kind of shows a few weeks ago, and they had a question on there about uh, baseball games. In the beginning, uh, what it took to win a game, and it used to be when one team scored twenty-one runs and the game was called yep. and you had a winner. There was no innings and you know 21 runs. Imagine that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that was uh, uh, one of those like like that's how cricket is played I think something like that. Yeah. So games can go on for you know 3 days because you got to get to that 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 level um and 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 I think that was that was again one of those early rules uh when you talk about you know um you know, how, like how how much should this game be different than the one that's been played, you know, for hundreds of years before,
1: right. you know,
0: on a on another continent, you know, how how and it, and do you want to copy it, or do you want to make this a, like America's game, you know? And I think that was maybe a, a part of it, the, you know, part of the the rationale to change it, you know, so that you know you got a, a brand new game the next day. Um, but some of these rules that we'll be talking about with Marjorie that you and I just talked about before the show, they cracked me up. Like, can you imagine if these are still in play, you know, but then again, you know, those, cra- you know, those cracks me up. Like last night I was watching the Dodger game and the angel game, Dodgers angels. And, uh, a guy who was like, there was nobody on base and there was like one out and, uh, the pitcher threw the ball in the dirt and the catcher went to catch it and it got to the wall. And, um, and and that this was the Atlantic League, the, the guy could have ran the first base and got a hit. You know? Oh that's and, right.
1: Uh, oh my gosh.
0: I know. And so I mean some of these rules are like, okay, now you think about that rule and you think about like what's the good that comes out of that. So this was a a pitcher that was getting everybody out. This was a, a, a what you what a non fan would call a boring moment in the game. And so the ball gets by the catcher and now the guy's on first base and now, Hey, there's one out. And there's a guy on first, you know, there's something that's there's activity that's happening that wouldn't have happened under the former rules. Right. Yeah. So I, I think I can, I can understand baseball looking for ways to move it along and make it a little bit more exciting. Uh, and, and again, I guess it's not exciting when a pitcher is dominating, you know, and it's not, and, and, and I, we all love offense okay, but there's a there's a special part to pitchers that that dominate and That's right uh, if we're gonna move the mound back and we're gonna let guys get the first on balls in the dirt, I mean you're slapping these guys in the face for for what they've worked on their whole careers, and I just find that part of it hard to to swallow that you know uh, it, it you know the home runs are are still up but but we're having these new rules come into play, but anyway. Just heard the special ding. I think that means our guest is on. Eric, please introduce us.
1: Yes, Marjorie, are you there? I certainly am. Who's this? Is this Eric or Jim? This is Eric. How you doing, Marjorie? Hi, I'm, Eric. Jim how Campan are you? Is with me. I'm doing great. doing great. Hi, Jim. Hey,
0: Marjorie. This is Jim. How you doing? I'm a pleasure to speak with you today, and we're real excited about uh, the topic today. Um, one of the things that – I don't know if Eric mentioned to you, but, like, this show is called Driving Them In because, literally, we – I call Eric when I'm driving home from work on uh, one night of the week, and we decided to make it a podcast. So, uh, if you hear any Harley's driving by me or horns honking, you'll know that I'm just driving home from work. So,
2: (laughs) I I think that's
0: I think that's incredible. That's terrific. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, we're 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 excited to have you on. This is actually our thirteenth show, Eric and I. So, we've been doing this for a quarter of the year already, um, and we're really enjoying it. We've had quite a few guests on, but really nobody sort of. Like you, um, and and you know we've had a lot of former players and coaches and uh, even you know documentary documentarians I guess you would call them, uh, but we've not had someone who has sort of this background uh, like you like you have sort of like as a you know as a baseball historian with a relative who changed the the way baseball you know was and now is and currently is um, and so I I I want to sit back I want Eric you know, we've talked a little bit about. Um, the fact that he's you know, interviewed you before and, then uh, I have some questions, but I did want to let Eric sort of kick things off. So Eric, I know you've got a couple of things you want to ask uh, Marjorie.
1: Yeah, Marjorie. That's uh, the way. Okay. Uh, according to everything I read, uh, Doc was finally given credit for his contributions to the game when John Thorne wrote an article, I think in the early 1980s. But, uh, up until then, I guess a lot of people were not aware of Doc's contributions to the game and uh, in your research and your history as a historian of the game how far back is it known that doc was uh, doing what he was doing how far back is it documented when did they start talking about it
2: the old, my earliest record is a letter that doc that his sister wrote him in 1832 wow he was at amherst college wow. he was at Amherst College in Massachusetts, and she wrote him a letter, which we have, and she was 11 years old, and he, she says in it, I have not played with your bat and ball as you bid me. I forget it every morning, and indeed, I have not seen it since you went away. Oh, wow. So, obviously, he had been home. Now, I think it's, it's important to know there were all sorts of bat and ball games that existed. They were all kids games, but I, you know, Walt Whitman has, there's some wonderful quote from Walt Whitman that man almost has a natural instinct to hit a bat with a ball. So we have no idea what sort of game he was playing, Mm -hmm. but it obviously shows an early interest in sports.
1: Right. Now he went to uh, he actually went to medical school. He actually was a doctor. Yes,
2: he went to Harvard Medical School and graduated in eighteen thirty eight. His father was a doctor as well.
1: Oh, okay. And Doc was playing baseball while he was in college or while he was in med school, correct?
2: Um, we have no documentation. I suspect that he did at Yale. I'm not okay. sure if he did at Harvard. We ha we, we know nothing about his Harvard years. The only thing I know about his years at Harvard was that he sh- he lived in the same rooming house as Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. Oh, and boy. he was very famous in his own right, Oliver Wendell right. Holmes Sr. And he was the the father of the great Supreme Court Justice. But yes. that that's all I know about Doc's Harvard years. Uh, I suspect he played it at Yale, probably not at Harvard. I think
1: okay,
2: yeah. I think the medical school studies Took up most of his time.
1: Yeah, I would guess so. Now, when he started playing baseball, he was playing for the Knickerbockers, New York Knickerbockers. Well, and- no,
2: when he he moved to New York in 1839,
1: okay, and, or 1838,
2: 1839, right in there, late in 1838, and he began to play with the New York Baseball Club.
1: Which oh, okay,
2: I'm going to be. They were an organized club, maybe not as organized as others, although there's there's new research coming out all the time. But Doc did play with them up until uh, the fall of 1845, when the Knickerbockers had formally organized into a club in September of that year, and Doc joined the club about a month later, along with a lot of the other members of the previous
1: club. Right. And I read also. I read somewhere that back then he had to encourage his teammates to come out and practice. They normally just came yes, out for did. games. So yes, he did. Up until then, they weren't working on holding their skills. They didn't practice. So
2: no, I well, feel that way it. not softball, a... Eric. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> still... Yeah. <laughs> well, this was a gentleman's game. It was for recreation. It was mm-hmm. for fun. It wasn't for exercise and in the in eighteen forty six they did play the New York Baseball Club, but then they didn't play another game against any other club till eighteen fifty one so wow. they there really weren't that many clubs around to compete against right. and so it was difficult for him to generate interest because the men would only be playing against themselves and by eighteen forty seven Doc was president of the club and it fell to him to encourage attendance they'd have the club dinners and he would lecture the members about attending the the practice sessions and match games and eventually the message set in but i think in terms of his contribution and this cannot be underplayed doc made all the balls for the club yeah and he supervised the manufacture of all the bats and oh, if, okay. if he hadn't done that, they wouldn't have had the implements. So mo- no amount of lecturing at club dinners would have gotten them out to play the game if they didn't have the bats <laughs> and balls.
1: That's right. So I think actually,
2: that is... As in-
0: that's a very interesting uh, topic, actually, that Eric and I were talking about uh, just before you came on, Marjorie, about. I, that was it to me when I read the, the, the some of the... the um, Information about Doc. Uh, they talked about the balls, and you think about, you know, you can't play baseball without a baseball, right? I mean, it's That's it's right. obvious. Um, but I was right. also mentioning that uh, one of my Facebook friends, um, he actually recreates the balls from that era. He makes them now, and and he sells them as like a little little side job. Uh, and it's interesting the I way bet that they you were and I stitched. know who
2: he is too.
0: Do you? I okay, bet he's one I of my Facebook friends. Okay, and I can't That's remember okay. his name right now. Um but I but I do know that um they were the basically there were two stitches around the ball that were basically like an X. Um they would X yes. on one side and cross yep. on the other side. Um yep. and, and he and he actually had some pictures to show sort of how uh how the ball was made. Uh and it was stitched by hand, you know, and I think the baseballs today are technically still stitched by hand or at least a part of it. But it was the they called the center of the baseball the pill. And it yeah, was interesting that's exactly because it. And he's using this. This my friend on Facebook, you know, is using a pre-manufactured rubber pill that's kind of sort of semi, I guess, uh, designed to or could fit into a baseball. Uh, but Doc was using like anything he could find, based on what I read. You know, maybe tire pieces of tires or
2: or, yes, or things along those lines. Yes, and his friend's old rubber boots. He'd cut them up. In yeah. His and I I have read in other places that. Some of the early balls, people would use a small pebble, or a spent okay. bullet shell, or even a spent bullet shell. Wow! To form the core of the
0: ball. That's like so, that's, that's like hitting a, hitting a bullet, huh?
2: Well, Eric, you know, yeah, he, that's the back in
0: the day, <laughs> hitting the bullet, biting the bullet. So, so, so yeah. and then we were all, and then, and then the on the bat side. Now, we that was something I had not read. I'm a, I'm a. Um, I would call myself a, a bat nerd. Uh, you know, playing professional baseball, you're offered of various sizes and weights, and and uh, model numbers, and and you know, you can even make your own model if you you know if you have enough cloud as a player. Uh, and then so, but but what Eric and I were talking about, you know, the, the split hand grip. Um, do you know anything about sort of when that split hand grip started to fade out in, in the history of Not- baseball?
2: That is uh, that is above my pay grade.
1: Okay. <laughs> and I will tell
2: you that um, when Doc was overseeing the manufacture of the bats, he also chose the wood. And then he would stand over the man who had the turner, you know, like making a chair, uh, a leg for a chair. Oh, or the a lathe, table. yeah, the
0: lathe, yeah. And
2: the lathe. And he would stand over the turner until he got the right length and taper. And thickness that he wanted, now, I right. don't know how many different lengths he made, or if there was only one, because that didn't enter the rule books until Doc wrote the laws of baseball
0: in eighteen fifty eight and then and so what was the did he, what was the length of the bat that was put into the rule book that he put together? Do you remember what what that was there
2: there was it was not specified. The length was to suit the batter, but there was a definition for the thickness and the diameter, and I'm looking it up because I don't remember. Um, this is in 1858. The bat must not exceed two and one half inches in the oh, widest wow. part, and it, it may be any length to suit the striker.
1: Okay, so so, that so, almost so now,
0: well, now the little league bats, the bats that the youngest kids play with and softball players play with, those are two and a quarter, and those are considered really thin. So two and a half is actually much thinner than what most baseball bats today are. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. Yeah.
2: yeah, and you know, I think some of that might have been because of the ball. The ball was very right. light, and right, and yeah. I think as as the equipment improved, as the ball improved. And got bigger or smaller and heavier,
0: then the bat had to change as well. Now, what but, about the thing that that? What, what about that thing that's made out of leather that a lot of guys nowadays wear on their non-throwing hand? That thing we call a glove. You're docking yeah, oh, those no. guys? They, they weren't using them, were they?
2: No, they were not. Now, wow. Also, some of that was, um, some of it was because the ball was so light. You could bat it quite a distance. You just couldn't throw it very far. And yes, people did get injured, but if you ever go to a vintage game, a vintage ball game, you will notice that the players try to catch the ball two-handed as if they're catching an egg. A soft egg, not a hard-boiled egg. And (laughs) again, I think as the equipment improved, there were more hand injuries, and therefore the gloves started to come in, although in the rules of eighteen fifty eight the the famous docs laws of baseball, he advocated for the fly game which yeah. would record an out on the fly as opposed to one bounce, which was the rule, and it kept getting voted down. Nobody wanted the fly game, and the issue was. That there were so many new clubs with new players who didn't know how to catch the ball that their hands were getting injured from catching the ball incorrectly.
1: You know, I wondered so why that's they why they didn't want rule. to go to an exclusive fly game. Okay, that makes sense. I, I was real curious on why they had that rule where you, you caught the ball on a bounce and it was an ounce. Yeah. Uh, one one of the things about baseball today that I've all my life I've heard people say the the distances are so perfect and there's so many things about the game that are just right. One of them being ninety feet between each base. And that was one of Doc's rules and that rule was that, that correct? Was. Yeah. That was
2: his calculation.
1: Well, it was you also it, it, it is just right. What do I think, you think about, about, it?
2: about it? I'm sorry, Hold I couldn't on, hear you. On. What was that, Eric? I'm
1: just saying when when anyone thinks about that ninety feet and what it takes for how quick a runner could get to first Before they're thrown out, sometimes they beat it, sometimes they don't. It is perfect. It's the exact distance it should be. And I'm wondering, before then, did they just take a a bag down there and drop it down and say, okay, this looks about right? Or did they pace it off? I'm just curious. It was 42 paces. They used to
2: pace it off. And therein lay the problem. Because your pace is different from mine. Right. So there is a mathematical formula of what constitutes a pace but even so it wasn't terribly it wasn't precise right and it it caused for arguments between clubs well no we think it should be a little shorter a little longer and that's why they called the convention in 1858 excuse me 1857 i keep oh. saying 58 i apologize it's 1857 because there there were so many new clubs and and everybody was playing by their own rules. Some of the rules were always were agreed to, but there were a lot of disagreements to the point that, uh, and now with many more clubs, that they had to get together and, and settle these things. Right. And one of the first rules that's in there, and I always bring this up, no gambling, no gambling, no wagering by anybody involved with the game. Oh, huh. so that's not
1: been in there from the beginning since
0: 1857. Interesting. Yeah, I played in the minors and uh, and and in, in in a little bit in the in the majors. You know, at some stadiums. And the second the second you walk into the clubhouse, there's a big big sign on the wall, and that's the first thing it says when you walk in. Uh, no gambling. You know, and that's, uh, right. that's one of the that's one of the strikes that a lot of people uh, throw at Pete Rose because you know. I know. He, that he, that sign was there all twenty something years that he was yep. a player and a manager, um, and that 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 wasn't posted, you know, for entertainment. That was that nope. was a big time rule, you know.
2: And that's why I always bring it up, because I get a little upset when I don't want to get into the whole Pete Rose thing, but I always point out to people it's not a brand new rule. Right, The right. rule was well over a hundred years old when he started playing baseball.
0: Well, and then the the irony is is that uh, it looks like next year, things might be getting, or or maybe the year after, things might be getting so, um. So in gambling might be so, so entrenched into baseball that you can actually place a bet at at certain stadiums in certain states during the game.
2: Well, it's it's that, o- it's one thing for a spectator to do that. It, it's another thing entirely for a player or a manager. Oh no doubt,
0: for sure, yeah, for sure. I
2: mean. If they want to have sports betting by a spectator, I'm a big girl. I have no problem with that. It's everything right. Else. I
0: I just see it though. I see this from the human side. You know, just like we've seen in these in these you know like the the uh, black Sox movies. You know the uh, you know and, and any any kind of sport where you know humans can be influenced by money. You know, baseball players are paid pretty well, but they weren't in 1919. And so you you hardly. You know, you hardly uh, feel, you know, uh, you realize that you know, you, you understand that the, these players are like, well, wow, I can make more in one day than I made the whole season. Uh, you know, now these guys are making so much money. It, I'm sure it doesn't make sense, but there's still that human element, um, you know, that that can be coerced with money. Right. Uh, and, and of that's, course. That's and for, and for a, some
2: people, there. And for some people, too much is not enough.
0: Right.
1: That's a good so, point. Right.
0: And it could be like, hey, my uncle needs money, and he's going to go bet against me tonight, and so I'm going to strike out with the bases loaded on purpose, so my uncle wins his bet, and uh, no one needs to know that I was involved. And my uncle walks out with a hundred grand in his pocket, you know. And again, I've, these are things that I'm already worried about um, dealing with in the future, and you know, with the, with the way that you know the internet and everyone can sort of control uh, information, you know it's going to be really easy when someone decides to break this rule for the first time, they are going to get caught. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, that, that was an interesting t- topic that, that you just brought up there. Never thought that, that, that was, you know, I, I guess one of the questions I guess that I would have for you too, um, is was Doc involved in any of the sort of aesthetics of, of a baseball field, like, like using dirt for the infield and, raising the pitcher's mound up a certain height or any of those sort of no, uh, no uh,
1: okay. it
2: was not raised up. The pitcher's oh, mound they were was throwing not flat up. ground. Okay. It was still flat. Now the the okay. um the, the laws of baseball in eighteen fifty seven were the first laws to define the pitcher's position. And but it was not raised at that point. That came later. And keep in mind most of the places where they played were actual fields. Right. These were not, for the most part, what any of us would consider a baseball field. Right. It.
0: it well, they were I mean, battlefields in the world in Civil War. Eric and I were talking about that absolutely. earlier. A lot of a lot of what Doc was was doing his thing was like right in the middle of the Civil War, uh, and of course, I think you know at that time he was probably in New York and and obviously a lot safer. Uh, uh, but i'm not sure if he if he if he took his medical skills to the war or or what do no. you know if he if no okay no
2: he, i mean by 1861 when the war started he was 47 years old
0: and that's ancient back then probably he, right
2: ancient back then
0: yeah. and
2: he had just gotten married he got he married 1 month after the war broke out in fact i have a letter uh that he wrote in 1896 describing the day he got married and how the city of New York was all decorated with bunting in support of the war and the troops that were being massed in New York City. So right. he, 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 and he retired from baseball in 1862. He retired from the club, from the Knickerbockers, in 1862. And he never looked back. He uh, was in New York in 1875 for a reunion game of the Knickerbockers and i do have a recording of my grandfather doc's youngest son talking about doc and how even into his 70s doc would play backyard ball with them and the quote is and impress my friends with his batting unquote <laughs> and he continued to make and he continued to make baseballs for the boys and this is the only reference i have to this but he would soak the ball in a bucket of water, and that would shrink the leather and make oh. the ball harder. Now, I don't know if he did that in the 1840s, 50s, and early 60s. I do not know, because that is the only reference that I
0: have to it. Well, I played now, in the I... Puerto Rico, uh, by the way, for winter ball, and um, they made the mistake of leaving some baseballs in a really humid shed. And um, oh. when they brought those, when they brought those out, um, I think they were about as. I think they needed to be dunked in water because they were really oh. sloppy and loose. And we oh, could not use them the entire the entire league. Um, th- th- this was the main cash of all the baseballs of the league. They were destroyed. Um, so we had to start. We had to. They had to s- to send out baseballs from America um, to get the the game started. And in the oh, meantime, dear. we're taking. Yeah, we're taking batting practice with those. Uh, really loose balls, and we—I'm talking about major power hitters in the major leagues. Um, guys couldn't hit the ball you know, past the left fielder with those. With those, oh uh, no! So, too
1: so, bad so the, you couldn't the,
2: put, put them in an oven for about twenty right. minutes. Right? Well, exactly. Oven. Exactly. Well, but <laughs> that, that would, it brings up—it like would have smelled like a steak gone
0: very bad.
2: <laughs> right. Well, but,
0: but that brings up this—the topic, though, of of today's baseballs, um, which are actually. Uh, flatter the seams are flat compared to one even when I played and, and I was a pro player through the late 80s and early 90s uh, and we we had seams on our baseballs um, and and uh, and so I, I train hitters now I, I train a lot of high school and college players and um, and so when when I am training them I, I generally try to get you know baseballs that they're they're going to use uh, so college balls and even now high school balls have to have flat seams that that. You know, takes away some of the advantage of the pitcher. That's the the rationale. Um, but but what people and don't I think understand, that's a good thing. I do too. I think I do that's too, a good but, thing. But what what wasn't taken into consideration was the aerodynamics. And so, like when when I played, you could hit a ball, and you could actually see it rise a little bit because the seams were thicker, and they would catch mm-hmm. a little air. And just like a just like an airplane, like a little like a wing, they kind of they kind of gave you a little rise. Uh, and Isn't what's happening now? Yeah, but what's happening now is that the, the ball is, is almost like a cue ball, it's very slick. And when you create really strong backspin, what physics do is, does is it just keeps carrying. It doesn't necessarily take off like our balls did uh, and then die. These things just keep going and going and going and going. Oh, my God. Um, and then the other parts of that equation, and Eric and I talk about this on a lot of our shows, uh, because we both experienced the difference between hitting with and I'm not talking about what dock stats were what, what type of wood but basically the the um the odd uh, woods like that, that the players are using in the twenties like hickory um and, and other kinds of woods that that you know were just really heavy or really dense um those started to lose favor. Um and then when World War two came wood restrictions made it even tougher to get certain types of wood. So baseball switched to ash wood, which is much more readily available, especially where a lot of the the wood, um, the wood, uh, you know, the uh, the refineries or whatever that you know the 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 places where they do a lot of the wood um, cutting, et cetera, uh, the sawmills, I should say. And so, so what what ended up happening is my dad's gener, my grandpa's generation, my dad's generation, and my generation, we swung uh,
1: ash bats
0: and. The difference between an ash bat and a maple bat, which ninety percent, ninety-nine percent of the guys use now, um, is the the density of the wood and also the um, what I would call the longevity of that piece of wood. So a, a maple bat, and this is a perfect example. I have a kid who just called me today from a college summer ball team, where he got over a hundred at bats in this se- in this college summer ball season with a wood bat, and. He used the same wood bat for the whole season. Now, Eric, could you ever imagine using an ash bat longer than two weeks? Even if batting, and this guy used it in batting practice and in the with wow. The same bat.
1: Oh man, so, no, because even in two weeks, even if it didn't break, just from the impact of the ball, the it would be yeah. yeah, it would be knocked around so much. Wow.
0: Right, and it, and and it was called. It's called. We called it like flaking. The bat, the the layer, the the grains of the wood of the of the ash bat. Actually, when it gets when the bats dry out, they start to, to flake off. So right. just like Eric said, you, you hit one right on the barrel and the whole bottom of your bat falls off, you know. Um, so we would tape up our bats to, to eliminate that. But now with these maple bats, they don't flake. They don't dent. And so Eric can also um, uh, back me on this one is when you hit a ball really well with an ash bat, you could actually go back after you you know came off the bases and look at your bat and you could see the lace mark. It's actually dented in the bat. And uh, right. now these these bats don't dent. They don't. You could have the same bat for ten thousand hits, and there will be no dents on it.
1: So what, Why, what do when I people talk thing?
0: about well, I'm just gonna say when people talk about the the uptick in home runs and they they blame the ball. I said, well, you know what, guys? Why don't we take a look at first of all, these guys are a lot stronger. Let's take a look at the fact that the fields are a lot shorter. Let's take a look at the the uh, the bats that these guys are using, and then we can talk about the baseball. But you can't say that it's one of uh, of all of these other factors, like that's the most important factor. I think it's all four of those factors that really play into the surge of home runs lately. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that.
2: No, me? There, Mar- no,
0: at- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Marjorie. Yeah, I'm, I have I'm no in-
2: thoughts on it. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm a rank amateur when it comes to this part of the conversation, <laughs> but I do think it's very interesting about the aerodynamics of the ball in relation to the stitching. Because the old balls from the 1850s and 60s, the stitching was very thick and pronounced. Yeah. And so I wonder how far those balls really went. And because of what you were talking about, the the aerodynamics of it. Someday I'll get to ask Doc that
0: question. Uh, yeah, along exactly. with all the
2: others that I have for him.
0: Yeah, along and I wonder how those others. old balls, uh you know, if you hit the way that you hit it, um, like the current baseball, uh you know, for example, the when the pitcher throws a four seam fastball, that means there's four seams that are cutting through the wind and the ball spinning in what you would call like a like in a in a in a, in, a, in a rotation like on a clock from the twelve to the six to the twelve to the six, right? The backspin. And then when you when you hit that ball, you're actually spinning it the opposite way, so you're actually spinning it from six to twelve to six to twelve to six to twelve. So you're actually reversing the spin on it when you hit the ball. And these this piece of, of um physics that happens, it it changes the, the the equation will change based on a lot of variables about the ball and the bat. So um you know when you when you think about the the way the laces were made in Doc's era um, and then, and I don't even know how they held those balls. They might have held them in a in a different manner than we would we would hold the current baseballs because of all the years of coaching. And these guys were just figuring things out back then. But like all of that plays into everything. And then, we, like we talked about earlier, those bats of theirs most likely were not light. They most likely were using dense woods like a like a yep. like a a hickory ba- uh, wood or yep. or or some or kind maple. of dense or, or maple, perhaps. Hickory
2: yeah. isn't available up here very much. But Maple is.
0: So okay. here,
2: here in New England, I would imagine they were Maple. But I guess also going back to the issue with the ball and the stitching, since the ball could be batted a long distance but not thrown very far because the ball was so light, that's why Doc
0: created the shortstop position. Okay. I, I read about because, that. So when why Do you know why he called it that? uh
2: it was a orig- well they called it short or shortstop both both terms were used and i think just because it was a position in between the outfield and the infield it was not okay. where it, it is placed today where the shortstop stands today really only happened when the when the ball changed when the ball got heavier it was more of a of an in between
0: field position. And then, what and, about the distance? What about the distance? The pitching mound distance was doc, um, part of that. Yes. Part of that argument yes. too. Okay.
2: Yes, and that so
0: what, was. Did they did they compromise in, on the six inches? I've always wanted to ask why inches? oh it no, well wait feet, a minute. Well, six inches in <laughs> in eighteen fifty 1850,
2: in eighteen fifty seven it was forty five feet.
1: Oh wow. It didn't
2: change to oh, the sixty man. feet six inches. Till much later, but that's because the ball was so light. The pitch was underhand.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Okay, that's important to realize. And the ball was to be fed to the batter.
0: The okay, idea no. of the game
2: was to play.
0: <laughs> uh, I right. see. Not, not to
1: strike him out.
2: Yeah. Right. That brings up the point that I was looking out. at.
1: Yeah. But but the ball is to be
2: fed to the batter.
1: Yeah. Now, speaking of strikeouts, according to what I read, Doc was umpiring, and he umpired sometimes after he played in a particular game, an all-star game in September of 1858. He became the first umpire. Yeah, yeah, September 10th. First umpire to use a new rule allowing for a strike to be called against a batter who did not swing at a pitch in his own. So prior to that, strikes were only called when a batter swung and missed. And I read that wow. yeah. and and thinking as as someone who played modern baseball and and not be probably agrees with me on this, if we're batting, if I'm a hitter, and I don't have to swing I only have to swing for it to be called a strike, I am sitting back there and waiting for the most perfect pitch oh, to yeah. come in before I take a hack.
0: I might have but, been and that was that.
1: a
2: brand new <laughs> yeah. and that was a brand new rule. It had only been passed that year. It wasn't very popular. And it wasn't used very much. But that was uh, the final game of the fashion race course games, which was sort of the very first all-star games between the, the best players of the Brooklyn versus New York clubs. And there were three games on July 20th, August 17th, and the third and final game on September 10th. And now, the I report the... on... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, and the uh, write-up on that third game was on the front page of the New York Times the very next day, and as far as I've been able to determine, it was the first time a baseball game made the front page of the New York Times.
1: Oh man, that's
2: cool. Always... I think it's kind of cool.
1: I noticed the score that game. The final score was twenty-nine to eighteen, and I had heard somewhere not long ago that. Baseball games used to be determined, the winner was determined by who got the 21 runs the quickest.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, did that and that change changed during... in
2: 1857. That okay, changed officially in 1857 because that was also when they finally codified nine men, nine innings. Now, okay. a lot of games were played nine men, nine innings up until 1857. But not everybody agreed to it. And sometimes only eight players would show up on one side and 11 for another. So there were all sorts of weird things going on. And that was the other part of the convention, was to standardize the rules of play. And So that was, in 1857, nine men, nine innings. There was a faction in Doc's club that wanted seven men, seven innings. But he was head of the committee to represent the club at the convention, and he was an advocate for nine men, nine innings, and Doc was also elected president of the convention. Right. And that was in his rules, the nine men, nine innings, and everybody agreed to it then. So there was no more seven men and, on one side and nine on another and and all that.
1: Cause it Isn't that made interesting? The committee. Things like that things we're talking about that were implemented back then 1857 1858 we take for granted today and we can't imagine the game of baseball without nine men nine innings
0: exactly Uh,
1: now being 60 feet feet. or
0: 90 feet 90 yeah 90 feet and and by the way um as a former catcher my my dad reminded me that it was um 127 feet three and three quarters inches to second base but then i just googled it today and I found out it's 127 feet, three and three eighths inches. So I've been oh an eighth heaven. of an inch wrong this whole time. Uh, so I'm to Well, that explains
2: you. it, doesn't Thank it, Jim? That
0: just explains <laughs> it all, doesn't it, Jim? Thanks for the that show. That eighth of an inch. That's right. Thanks to the show. Well, you know what? And that's why my throws are always an eighth, eighth of an inch short. You know. Was, See, there <laughs> you go.
2: I was mis- there's always a good things. excuse. There's always a good excuse, isn't there? <laughs>
0: that's right. That's certainly right. You know, so but, well, you know, that, but you know there's some... Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, go ahead.
0: This is interesting. So I, I think you. I, well, I was just going to say. I think those, those. I mean, obviously, that that distance is. It's it's, a, it's the Pythagorean, you know, theorem. Like it's the triangle. You know, it's the it's the divide yeah. between the. And so it's it's a math formula, right? I mean, any any kid who's in high school can do the math on that. But but I think that the 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 magic though was the ninety feet. And and as a baseball player, and Eric can can attest to this. You know, Eric played at Arizona State. I played at USC, and I played professionally. And we played thousands of games. And I know Eric can say this: that eighty uh, percent of the guys who get thrown out at first base get thrown out by one step. So what if what if Doc made the bases? You know, let's say eighty-eight feet. The joke is that they would we would still be getting them out by one feet one foot because that's how players they have they have a game clock in their head. And so yeah, it's funny right. because when, when I was coaching my younger boys, um, my boys, when they were younger, you know, you go from a little league distance, which was basically 60 foot bases, to 90 foot bases, And now all of these kids, they have to change their game clocks. They had been playing, you know, on the shorter field their whole lives. And now they're going to play on the bigger field. Uh, and the, and the game got really slow when you're 13, when you go to that big field and you're still a little kid um I know Eric yeah. and I've had this conversation um about that was probably the toughest year of of baseball for for us and I think for most kids um you know you go from being a 12 year old stud on this little field into a 13 year old little kid um yeah. and I but, but I think those numbers though the the distances that 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 were agreed upon and I think you know Doc being sort of the leader of this re- revolution uh they picked what amounts to be like like the magical formula. I mean, I mean, I don't, I know you agree
1: too, Eric. Yeah. Definitely. Well, so, uh, he,
2: he came by it honestly. His father, not only was his father a physician, but his father wrote textbooks, mathematical textbooks. And Doc often helped his father edit later editions of the textbooks,
1: oh.
0: the
2: arithmetic textbooks. So Doc was also a mathematician.
0: Wow. Um,
2: and one other thing I wanna bring up about the ninety feet, there is a quote from a, a sports writer of the nineteen fifties, Red Allen. And he said Ninety oh, yeah. feet between Ninety Feet Between Bases is as close as man has ever come to perfection. Yeah. And in the Ken Burns baseball documentary in volume one, which needs to be revised, but I'm not going to get into that here. Um there And I don't know who the man is. Somebody is shown on screen speaking, and there's no credit given. But he talks about the the, the 90 feet between bases and how 91 would have been too long and 89 would have been too short. And right. he talks about that, that perfection that you were talking about, Jim, of the 90 feet.
0: And, and, you know, and one the of angles, things, too. The angles, too, and you had mentioned this new position that, that Doc created called shortstop. And it's just funny because when, you, when you're when you a shortstop, and I played shortstop a lot uh, up through high school, you catch a ground ball and you've played that position so much that you know the exact angle, no matter where you are in the shortstop position, uh, of where that angle is to throw to first base. And again, that's, I think, part of anyone who's played. You know, Eric was primarily, a, you know, let's say a first baseman and an outfielder. So I know when he caught a fly ball, you know, he knew the angle to throw home. Um, and, and again, all the dimensions though made up that sort of what I would call a natural, it seems like a natural instinct, but it's actually an instinct that we all develop because of the the dimensions of the field themselves, you
1: know, that's uh,
0: and never even thought about it until this show that that's, that's really critically important, uh, you know, to the, to the way the game, um, is played and, 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 and players develop without the dimensions. Uh, it'd be really tough to get consistency you know the the uh thinking about Eric walking to the you know the Cleveland Indians playing on a 92 foot base field and and uh by the way a couple years ago like about 15 years ago they were they were claiming that Kansas City's mound was 2 inches too high i remember um, that yeah and and again the, the the consistency in baseball you know um is super important especially you know uh, when you're talking about pitching uh, and the advantage that the Kansas city pitchers would have had if they knew that. Um And then by the way, we can even get into deeper things because I played on some fields and some teams where we had really good bunters. So we made sure that the grounds crew sort of, let's just say modified the lines a little bit to make sure the balls yeah. might stay fair. Um And that, that was very common uh, in the eighties and nineties when speed was such a big part of the game. Um So it's still to this day, I think, you know, uh, you look at a field like, like, um, like Finlay and, you know, you almost, you almost look at players that where that green monster becomes an asset and not, not a, not a hindrance, you know, you right. want players that, that can play on the field. You know, you look at guys the way that, um, you know, Eric and I can go back and look at the teams from the eighties, especially in the central divisions of both leagues. Um, and you had these gargantuan fields in, in uh, Kansas city and in St. Louis and it was tough to hit a home run there. So what? What did they do? And they were on AstroTurf. They went out and got a bunch of speedsters, and they were perennially, you know, they were constantly, you know, getting uh, into the playoffs, winning, uh, winning World Series. The, you know, the Royals won in '85 with a team that that was could motor. Um, you know, St. Louis was winning back then, all because of the way the fields were. Um, it's just, it's still. I mean, I, this is this is just more stuff that. I was sort of like wondering what we were going to talk about, but like we could talk for hours about just the decisions that Doc made, uh, and influence that he had, um, and how it, it made such a difference in, you know, hundreds of thousands and of millions of, of people's lives, uh, afterward. That's
1: pretty amazing. Yes, it is. I'm wondering, uh, obviously if Doc could see the game today, he'd be happy, I think, with the rules that he was responsible for implementing and how they've lasted all this time. But I wonder about the proposed rule changes. Like, we were talking before the show, Campy, about uh, the rule they're testing in the Atlantic League this year, where if a, there's a pass ball, pitcher throws the ball by the catcher, the runner can go to first base and steal first base, essentially. Right. That seems backwards. That seems like something that might have happened back in the 1840s and 50s, but not now.
0: Right, yeah, Marjorie, are you are you um, hearing some of the proposed rule changes and then that Atlantic League that um, is actually testing? It's an, it's an independent league, and they're in a partnership with the MLB to test some different rules to see how they might work. Um, yes, not only I've read the, some
2: headlines, but I, okay. I would never pretend to be an expert on the subject. I well, will let if you it was, two carry on.
0: Well, it, I think it's very relevant, though, because um, the rules that, that Doc put together uh, we're foundation rules. Well, I would call them foundation rules. Like we need to have a proper distance, you know. And and I don't know if you heard of this one now, but they're now saying that they're like so sort of the the Atlantic League, the pitchers they moved the they moved the rubber back two feet, so they're actually pitching from sixty two feet six inches now, and wow. it, it's in an, it's in an effort to create more offense. Um, the the idea of and this just happened. Eric and I were watching the Dodger Angel game um, uh, last night. And a ball got by the catcher with nobody on base and um, an open base on first, uh, um, and less than two outs. And um, in the Atlantic League, in the new rule, because the ball got by the catcher with nobody on, you can get you can go to first base. Uh, and again, that's another modern rule that's being looked at to help stimulate uh, activity. You know, I think fans uh, don't appreciate pitchers who who strike people out or do well. Uh, and there's that horn. I was telling you, would hear. Um, anyway, the uh, the long and the short of it is, we're we're looking at these new rules, and Eric and I are are pretty staunch traditionalists. Um, right. We we do believe though that the game needs to continue to evolve. Um, but some of these rules to us seem like they're really just there to make non-baseball fans able to stomach baseball, uh, while punishing real baseball fans. And I guess my question would be to you although we don't have to talk about the details but um do you think that there needs to be more rules added to baseball or do you think it's pretty good the way it is
2: oh that's a hard one for, for me to answer eric it really is i'm i i have no dog in this fight except i really want the game to continue and i look at the i look at mlb games and the stands are empty And they've built these tremendous stadiums and they charge way too much money and you can't afford to take a family of four. And there was a post on Facebook a few weeks ago, uh, MLB is planning on allowing teams to put company symbols on their uniforms, like selling advertising space and having a Coca-Cola patch on their arm and... I'm thinking to myself, well, none of these clubs are that hard up for money, thank you very much. So if they're doing that, the very least they can do is use that money, that advertising dollar, and reduce ticket prices for families of four so that you encourage kids to see a game. Because otherwise, none of this rule business will really make a whole lot of difference.
0: And it'll just upset us old fans of the game. I will tell you a funny thing. I will tell you a funny story. When I was in the minors and my friends and I, my teammates and I would be playing on some minor league field in Florida or in Alabama or something. And it was like, it was like Ronald McDonald throws out the first pitch. Every square inch of the field was an ad from a car dealer or a local grocery store or a barber shop or every single ad. And then you get the program and every single thing. And there's an ad. And we were, we would joke to ourselves like, Hey, Someday when we get to the majors, there'll be no advertising on the walls, on the field. How great is that, right? And now, yeah. I mean, I was a back for the Dodgers growing up, and there were no signs on the wall. The only ads and Eric can attest to a Dodger fan, there was a big gasoline company, um, Union 76, has a, had a circular logo, and it looked like a you know, shape of a baseball, and that was like on the scoreboard, just one little small logo, and
1: that was it. That, that was uh, it, that's right.
0: That was it, and now. Oh, but I've seen you know, photographs
2: of, I've seen photographs of ball clubs from the twenties and thirties and forties
0: that had ads all over the place. Right, and then Burma something Shave happened. And- yes, but then something happened, and I I can't p- pinpoint the era, but something happened, and all of a sudden there was none. Um, and by the way, I worked for the Dodger radio uh, network after I was done playing baseball, and we were not allowed to actually sell ads to casinos. It was illegal we couldn't sell ads to um hard liquor companies either it was illegal for major league baseball teams to advertise hard liquor and gaming facilities like vegas or, or out here and i think you guys have the like the indian casinos too couldn't advertise yeah. those well guess what now um it's like the san manuel indian casino uh uh press box you know brought to you by bacardi you know i mean it's it's totally going going to how can we monetize whatever we can monetize. And now with gambling, which we talked about earlier coming into this, this is all money. This, And so I had not heard about the um, logos on the uniforms. Of course, we all have seen, um, you know, major league soccer players. You don't even know what team they're on. They're on like Team Bimbo. I saw that. Like, that's yeah. one of the teams that – the bread company sponsors the team and it, yeah. you know, <laughs> and again, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bread company and, but it's like on the marquee of where the name of the team should be. So, uh, I kind of felt that this was coming to this at some point. Um, but it seems like, and I, and I'm going to agree with you that I've seen a lot of games, even the Dodger angel game last night was, was sparsely, um, uh, attended uh, it's the tv money though that is the difference maker um because these tv uh cable systems they get this exclusivity and then they are able to basically get you know a, a billion dollar property like the dodgers and they can advertise their clients on the dodger games exclusively uh that's a big sort of thing that investors love so you know the the, the teams now uh, it's, it's that and that's where i think your your comment is well why can't the games be affordable, and I, I I want to. I'm asking the same question because there's so many revenue streams. Why can't they, you know, have, you know, let's say forty dollar box seats? I, mean, I went to an Angel game recently. Friends gave me tickets. And tickets were hundred. It was Angels, one hundred sixteen dollars for you know one oh ticket.
1: God.
0: One ticket, and they was they were oh good seats, fourth fourth row. But it wasn't like you were in a private area. It was just a a, a seat. Four rows back up on the first base line, 116 dollars for one seat in May. So you know you kind of you kind of think um, you know you're right. How how is the average fan uh, supposed to sort of teach their kids how to love baseball when it's really tough to fork out 400 something bucks to, to take the family to the game? You know that's
2: and then and then even if they do go to the game, they're up in the cheap seats, and right. by the fourth and fifth inning. None of those seats farther down have been filled, you know, by someone who might have arrived late with a valid ticket.
1: That's uh, right. Why
2: not put all those people that are up in the nosebleed seats, let them all move down and fill in so they get closer to the game. Right. And it'll well, look you better know, when they pan the audience anyway.
0: Sure. And, and you know, the, the thing, too, like at Dodger Stadium, last time I went, I ordered a beer. It was a craft beer, and I like my craft beers. And I'm at the ballpark and it was like an 18-ounce beer or 16-ounce beer for $22. And I'm just thinking, I could have bought a case of this stuff. (laughs) You know, the same exact stuff that's in this cup, I could have bought a case of it, you know, uh, what I'm paying for this one. Yeah, yeah. but there are
2: also other factors that go into that $22 for a cup of beer. And it's not really just the uh, baseball club. I mean oh there, of course. there's the of vendor course. there the trucks there the employees the taxes the the, the this the that the other. i'm not saying it's right but it, there are other costs involved
0: well but that's true but the, the angels uh, owner actually when he bought the team and i want to say this is back in 2000 the first thing he did when he got there and i think this was a pr move on his part too was he actually publicized that he's lowering the price of beer uh, and that was, I think, one of the ways he helped ingratiate himself to, to the Angel fan, <laughs> fan base right off the bat. Smart man. Smart man to do that. But, uh. What was
2: that? There was uh, that ad for, for some beer that Bob Euchre did about 30 years ago. Yeah.
0: Light beer. Yeah, Less Light fat, beer more filling. Less fat, yep. more filling. Yep. 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 yeah. Yep. So funny. that, that, yep. And so, uh, I think that, that, you know, and so when you, when you were talking about, you know, um, when Doc was playing, uh, these guys were were they getting paid by? Oh, no,
2: this was all amateur. R- oh, no, this was okay. all
0: amateur. All of this so was then, amateur. Then, so, everybody's, I mean, th- like, even baseball, like, I remember when I was a kid, um, my grandpa was a uh, GM of the Dodgers in 1969, and really? of course, I was little, I was little, little, but they, they, he, he got a whole bunch of, like, um, I don't know, but like tchotchkes, you know, like things that you would put in your office tro- little trophies, little memor mem- uh, mementos, and it was because it was baseball's one hundredth anniversary uh, of of of, and so that they they, you know, the 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 year eighteen sixty nine, apparently was the first year where they're saying a major league game was played. Um, well, that, that was, was
2: the Cincinnati. I think that was the uh, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Red Sox. right?
0: Correct. And the first correct.
2: professional. That was the first. First professional. Now, there were by the late 1850s. There, and I, I, I'd have to look it up. There was a, a. There were some players that might have been paid under the table. Because the game had gotten so popular, that gambling started to come in. Mm. Gambling by the crowd. And they started to charge admission to the games. I mean, none of this was happening in 1857. Right. This all started around 1858 with the fashion race course games. That first fashion race course game on July 20th, there were 10,000 people that attended. Wow. This is New York City, 1858. So once, and it was the first time an admission was charged... Now, the money went to a fireman's fund for the widows of firemen in New York and Brooklyn. But once you introduce money into the game, then everything changes. There there wasn't supposed to be, but uh, there are reports of some sort of gambling going on at these games. Not by the teams. This is by spectators and dandies, so to speak.
1: Right.
2: So, and since the games were getting so popular, there have been rumors here and there of some players getting bait under the table. But that was only just beginning. And it was, this, and so- once the Civil War ended.
0: That's when it all started, really. Yeah, and, and Eric and I it... were talking about that before you came on because we both seen pictures of, you know, Union soldiers even playing against Confederate soldiers, you know, in baseball games. Um, and this was sort of, you know, right after those conventions that we were talking about that Doc sort of, like, uh, you know, made it, made made everything a lot more consistent. And um, and 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 we were discussing, you know, that that a lot, a lot of those soldiers went on uh The ones who certainly the ones that survived and, and weren't hurt uh were able to play baseball after the war um and so that's what you're saying too is that's when when things really started to take off uh and and the professional league began effectively in in eighteen sixty nine is that is that sort of how the history was was written
2: yeah i mean I, that that's how I would interpret it
0: okay although okay. you
2: you i think sometimes the civil war might get a little bit more credit for the spread of baseball than it deserves, it was already spreading by 1861 because of the railroads. Oh, right. Because the railroads oh, yeah, yeah. the railroads brought the newspapers and the newspapers were writing up about baseball and I forget the date and I can look it up. Uh, there was a, a man in Detroit who got a New York newspaper that published the rules of baseball. It might have been the 1857. I don't know, but... Um, and he was playing a bat and ball version with his friends and he brought the rules from the newspaper and said let's try this so it was the railroads that prior to prior to the civil war that did as much if not more than the civil war itself for the spreading of the game
0: that's because, interesting I mean,
2: as i said as i've said from the beginning there were bat and ball games all over the country Every, they were just different. I mean, there was the Massachusetts game that was played on the square, and there was no foul territory. I mean, there was all sorts of strange things going on. There was one in, in Philadelphia that was played on in the round. So a lot of locales had their own versions, and of course there would be resistance to something new, which I think the fact that the New York game won out speaks to the superiority of the New York game.
1: Right.
0: Well, I and think too, it is very well thought out and I mean and a lot of the, the the context that you brought to this to this conversation today uh I'll never forget and, you know the the thought that you know uh, a mathematician's son who <laughs> a guy that wrote a text math math textbooks and his son uh had to do some editing Attributed to the to the uh, to this to the, to the dimensions of the field is to me quite quite interesting. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and and again, some of the some of the other topics that you brought up today are are you know something I think any baseball fan would would really feel. And so, is there was there any? I I did want to ask you this. Uh, and by the way, thank you for being on. We're you're coming up on an hour with us, and that's wonderful of you. I appreciate that. And and so oh, it's is Eric. And I but I had you know just a, maybe a one more question. I'm not sure if Eric has any more but I wanted to ask was there ever any um time when Doc and and the person that we also hear about being part of, you know, baseball's uh, uh invention, uh Abner Doubleday, was there ever any connection between those two guys?
2: Uh never?
0: Never. Um okay. Abner
2: Doubleday had nothing to do with inventing baseball. You do know that, don't you?
0: I don't. See this is this is where we have to let this Okay, hang on, hang on. We've got a little only a little time left.
2: Abner okay. Doubleday had as much to do with inventing baseball as I did. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. This that myth was debunked in about nineteen forty. About an hour right. after the Hall of Fame opened in eighteen thirty nine. Everybody was questioning the whole Doubleday myth. That was completely debunked in the, eight, in the 1940s. And it continues today because people like to perpetuate it. But Abner Doubleday had nothing to do with the birth of baseball. If anybody wants to read the definitive write-up on this, they must read Baseball in the Garden of Eden by John Thorne. It is all in there, and it's a fascinating story. But Abner Doubleday had nothing to do with the birth of baseball.
1: Interesting. And you okay, hear I heard
0: that. See, and Eric, you're supposed to give me these these heads up on the, the pre-talk show things. <laughs> make me sound make me sound like I'm more informed than I am here. Clearly, but yeah, that that was
1: always
0: <laughs> that was always something that you know, growing up as a kid. Um, and by the way, I, I was you know I, I was um, a, I was let's say a teenager in the '80s when when this uh, information came out about Doc. And, uh, and I, I did hear about it and I did hear, you know, sort of the changing of the thought. Um, but before that it was, it was Admiral Day. at least the general information that I got. And of course, you know, I'm a third, at the time I was, you know, my, my dad was a former major leaguer and so was my grandpa. And so the information oh, that wonderful. I was getting, that I was getting passed though, was coming from them, which I assumed was the truth. Um, which, you know, it's funny cause my dad actually called during the show and I need to call him back but I want to mention to him that he gave me some faulty information when I was a oh, kid yeah. about <laughs> Abner Doubleday.
2: <laughs> well, it's 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 nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And as I said, John Thorne's book, Baseball in the Garden of Eden, The Secret History of the Early Game, outlines the whole sad story of how Doubleday got anointed as the father of baseball. There's no black him in Cooperstown. Just really? an oil Okay. Banking. But
0: there's no plaque. I, so I I played though on um I played on the baseball field against that was on team USA when I was uh, just out of USC and um we played against like Korea there or some some team from Asia. Uh and it was a it was a it was a pre like uh, World Cup exhibition game and um it, the place was jam packed. It was it was awesome. But they called it was double day field. They actually called That's it double right. day field. It,
2: well, it helped so, sell the
0: product. Okay yeah. and that we're going we're going Eric that we have a new job we're we are going to start a petition to change the name from Doubleday Field to Adams Field to Doc Adams Field uh, I think that that's uh, I think that that's something that uh, we need to uh we need to start a petition Well and, um, I'll tell you what I got
2: to get him in the Hall of Fame first
0: Okay I still have so to get him
2: in the Hall of Fame
0: Let's work on that. I, I've actually been uh, really. It's been interesting. I'm at that age now. I just. I'm going to be fifty-two later uh, next month, and I now have uh, my my uh, third teammate is now a Hall of Famer. Uh, fourth, I guess fourth now, with the induction of Edgar Martinez uh, this past week. Really? Um, so that's. It's been pretty. Well, maybe special. he I can get, help me. Maybe
2: well, he and, can –
0: and and Randy Johnson's Randy Johnson's a big, tall, mean-looking dude. I can I can ask him too. So we can uh, we'll gang up on those Hall of Fame. Uh, well, Hall we have a guy. website.
2: We have a website, Jim.
0: Really, Doc what Adams
2: is it? Doc Adams has a website. Okay. One word, org. We are
0: gonna we're gonna check out Eric. that out Eric, and we're gonna have to see if we can. Uh, let get that information out there because I think you know Eric. You and I are, are you know we're we're as big baseball fans and historians as as most people out most general fans right. out there. Uh, and for me and you to not know some of this information, um, clearly we're it's not getting out there enough. So um, we're going to have to start a little social media blitz and let people know about uh, Doc Adams Baseball dot org. That's awesome. Yes, and
2: awesome. and he has a Facebook page. Oh really? Oh, he's a busy boy, our doc. Adams. Clearly, he's a very busy <laughs> boy. <laughs> very yeah.
0: savvy, considering that he didn't invent computers yet, but he he picked up yes. on it pretty quick. Yes, That's great.
2: He, he had a he he had a Facebook page before I did.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, he's a
2: doctor. He's I mean, Come of it.
0: on, he's a smart guy. Smart guy, he's a doctor. He sure so. is.
2: I yeah. I wish some of the, his DNA had landed on me, but it
0: didn't. I'm no mathematician. <laughs> so. So Marjorie, there are there any other um ways that people can get more information about Doc or, or connect with you on any of your social media um, stuff that you do? They, they can certainly reach out to Doc on his web okay.
2: page, on his um Facebook page. They can reach me through the website. All right. My my webmaster goes through all the emails to make sure I d do, I don't get anything weird. Okay. And um he, he, he filters them. And uh we do have an online petition on our website. We do not collect email addresses, so anybody can sign the petition with complete anonymity. We 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 won't come after you. And I'm hoping that in in December of next year at the at the at the winter meetings, Doc will get elected to the Hall of Fame.
0: Wow. And and rightfully so. And I, I mean, want it officially... to be unanimous. Especially I wanted to be
2: unanimous just story. like Mariano.
0: Yeah. Just like Mo. Yeah, I well, to no, right. be unanimous. Yeah, and I think so. with the context of, of what you presented today uh and the importance of of, of someone who basically could have you okay, let's think about this. Nah, you know what, forget this baseball thing. I'm I'm done with these guys. they they're not listening to me. Oh they need baseballs, oh, forget them. We're not I'm not going to make any more. Oh they need bats, no, forget them. I'm to... I mean the game would be dead. There would be no baseball today. That's right. And, and these are just these are just things that we never we just like Eric you said earlier, you take it for granted. The bases right. are 90 feet, the and there's there's a bucket of balls, you know, for the team to to use or in this game. Uh, and and there's a there's a dozen bats here and you pick the one you like. I mean, we take all that stuff for granted. So Yep. Very interesting conversation, um, Marjorie. Well, thank, thank you so you. much Can for... I just
2: leave you? Can I just leave you with a little quote of Doc's? Please do. I'll, I'll leave you with this. In the early years with the Knickerbocker Baseball Club, as I said earlier, were very discouraging to get people to show up. And Doc often thought of giving it up. But he said in an interview in 1896, my love of the game led me to persevere. So that's why he kept at it. He loves the game. That's
1: great. What a great quote. Yeah.
2: And well, that interview is also on our website.
0: And I think that's part of the reason Eric and I do this show is our, our uh, desire to persevere and and, and, and keep the, the love of baseball that we both have in our hearts as former players and, and now fans. And when Eric and I both do work in baseball, um, you know, uh, currently still do work with baseball, and so it's it. I love that quote, and I think that that is what you would call the definition of a baseball, baseball lifer. And maybe, you know, you might even say that Doc was the first ever baseball lifer.
1: That's right. I would say that. Well,
2: in, in his heart, yes, in his heart. He, others played the game longer, but I think he had it in his heart his whole life.
1: Yeah. So. That's awesome. But I
2: thank you so much. This was fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Margaret. Always Mar- fun talking with you.
2: Thank you so much. You have a good right, evening and get home safely.
0: Thank, oh,
1: thank you. Me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Watch the traffic. Oh. Okay.
0: I will. <laughs> good thank night. you very much, Marjorie. Good night. good night. Good night. That was great, Eric, right? That was yeah, awesome. Yeah, that was
1: fantastic, man. And, uh, I learned again, something the, new every time I talk with her. It.
0: And it's cool. And I'm I'm really glad, by the way, because, you know, I, I just assumed that Abner Doubleday was, like, right there at that moment with with Doc and this and convention and all this stuff that you know, and and now here we are learning that he wasn't in the mix at all.
1: No, oh, yeah, and nothing so, to do with it. Uh, I had heard rumors of that over the years, but I never really looked into it and I had never asked her about it before. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, there's probably a double day who has a lawyer is a
0: lawyer now and is keeping that stuff uh, under wraps, keeping it yeah keeping it on the down low. <laughs> Got a yeah. cease and desist on that information. <laughs> so <laughs> But I think that, that the, the the general fan, you know, uh, I think will feel the same way as we do is, you know, what if the bases were 89 feet? You know, what if the bases were 96 feet or 42 paces? And what if everything was inconsistent? What if, I mean, I don't think there'd be baseball the way we have it today. If a lot of the stuff that Doc Adams did, uh, he didn't do, you know, and, and, it, to me, like that—that that is the definition of uh, of a life well spent—is when you change the course of future. You know, That's so right. for uh, for a guy like him, you know, uh, uh, who was, you know, uh, also a lifesaver—he's a doctor, for God's sake—he um, also saved the life of many people uh, hundreds of years later by uh, this little, you know, round ball and round bat game that he uh, helped to perfect. So I think this, uh, this is a this was a really interesting topic, and uh, man, it was really great for you to suggest Marjorie. I know you had had her on other shows, and this is my first exposure to her, and it was really it was really quite fun. Uh yeah. and she's she's got a great uh, personality and then tre- tremendous knowledge. uh of, yeah, she's of, super of, of yeah. Doc. Yeah. So uh, another one in the books. How great is that? Yeah, so, thirteen. Uh, 13. So, uh, Eric, why don't we uh, tell everyone um, how we can get a hold of our, our stuff and then we can close it out?
1: Okay. You can get me on Facebook, Eric Venenberg. Send me a message, private message, or a friend request. And on Twitter, uh, Dr. of Baseball, DR of Baseball, or at Eric Venberg on Twitter. And I get a lot of messages on Twitter, so feel free. Cool. Andy?
0: Yeah, and so I'm on uh, Facebook at Jim Campanis Jr. We also have to remind people to check out that Doc Adams Facebook page uh, that apparently Marjorie or one of her people runs. Um, And then uh, I'm also on Twitter, which is basically my Facebook feed that just goes over to Twitter. Um, That's at Jim Campanis. Um, And then I have the uh, uh, YouTube channel where I have a lot of my hitters and some baseball videos that I've created. Uh, They're on my YouTube channel. It's at Jim Campanis also. Um, and then you can check out my books website um born dot com and then for those yeah. of you who would like to uh, email us any questions or any ideas for show topics or guests, um please send those on an email to us at driving them in at yahoo dot com and that's driving and then e m which is short for them driving um in at yahoo dot com and I'd love to get your questions uh comments. Um, suggestions uh, out to the, to the, to the listeners. Um, and, uh, you know, by the way, Eric, we happen to, you know, really not know what our audience is on this because of the way the podcast stuff goes out. Um, but we do get like a uh, sort of popularity. We understand like some shows are, are have more audience just from a, a little popularity thing that shows up on iTunes. But I also have another thing that we use um, to host our shows, which is called Anchor. Uh, and so the numbers are all over the place and they're hard to, 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 to comprehend and, 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 and figure out. Um but I do know that we've had some, uh, really fun shows and fun guests. Um, and, uh, and, and it's just interesting that like last week when we had John, I like to call him John the Greek because I can barely pronounce his Greek <laughs> name and I'm Greek myself. Leah, Leah Leah, Leah le-
1: come on, give me a, what is it, John? John Leonidikis.
0: John Leanna Dyke is okay. Thank you
1: very much. And sorry John. I don't know I don't know uh, why I can pronounce that so well, but I got it from the first time I met him.
0: Well I I have to call you to, to pronounce it every time I, I can't remember <laughs> it. So so you are you have the Greek the Greek last name thing down. But yeah. uh, it was great seeing uh, how many people jumped on to the to John's show last week and of course he's got a big audience, you know, with his show The Sweet Spot and all of the different uh stuff that he's done in the past. Uh, so it's really cool to see, you know, how when uh, we get some people on and and uh, you know that that have a little little uh, following themselves, yeah. And people, you know, their their people like to listen to it. And and we saw this from uh, Mike Gillespie, who was my former coach at USC, uh, Rick Burleson's show that when he came on and talked about the All Star Game. Uh, you know, we had um, Jeff Cirillo talking about competitive drive, That's Mark right. Merchant uh, talking about the the MLB draft. Mark was former teammate of mine um who was uh drafted right after Ken Griffey Jr uh and sort of how that played out the rest of his career um we had Jim Henderson a former player former Arizona State Sun Devil
1: talking about uh, perseverance
0: perseverance uh, a tough blow that he had after his first professional game a lifetime 333 hitter and um and so again I I think that the 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 idea for this show and what we're trying to do um it's been happening it's been really fun for me to, to to talk to these different people from different areas of baseball um talk about some of the things that's happened in their uh existence around the game um as well as you know some of the things that that uh you know you and I don't even know we're learning just like today's right. show with uh, with with marjorie so uh, another one another great one in the book eric any any uh final comments
1: no yeah. uh, i just uh it was great having her on i I'm probably gonna go to that website as soon as I get off here and check it out, but our list of guests, I don't think you're going to find such a wide variety of baseball guests anywhere else, at yep. least not that I yep. know of.
0: Right, and don't forget, we had Derek May, former Major League Batting coach on, talking about hitting, and actually, I did that one while we were I was driving to North Carolina about a month That's ago. Right. So uh, yeah, so 13, uh, 13 shows, take a listen to some of those if you haven't heard them, if this was your first, um, you can check them out. Um, our shows are on iTunes the podcast there we also are on um you know if you're a stitcher person you go you know, you get your podcast on stitcher we're there um we're also on anchor uh which is another one of those sort of uh you know um podcast uh, apps that you can you know listen to over your phone or computer or what have you so uh, wherever you can uh you can actually google um driving them in with jim campanis and eric landenberg and you'll see where you can listen to uh the podcast sure. so um so on behalf of Eric Lindenberg, my uh, co-host, uh, Jim Campanis Jr. here, thanking you guys for listening. Another great episode today with uh, Marjorie Adams. Great, uh, great granddaughter, I think, right? Great, great-great great? Or great, great, great? I
1: think it's great, great. Great-great.
0: Okay, great, great granddaughter of Doc Adams, uh, really the um, the inventor of modern baseball. Great show. Thank you, Marjorie. And until next week, uh, we, will, uh, we will be back with another episode of Driving Them In.
1: Take care. All right, have a safe week, everyone.